But why, some say, the moon? Why choose this as our goal? And they may well ask, why climb the highest mountain? Why, 35 years ago, fly the Atlantic? Why does Rice play Texas? We choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that goal will serve to organize and measure the best of our energies and skills. Because that challenge is one that we're willing to accept, one we are unwilling to postpone, and one we intend to win, and the others too. In 1962, President John F. Kennedy made one of the best speeches of all time. And when he did, JFK gave us a case study on our next way to increase capacity in those we lead. My name is Adam Shaw, and this is The Restorationist. Well, hello, hello, everybody. I hope you're having a wonderful day. Welcome to The Restorationist, a podcast all about helping you increase capacity and simply become a better leader. But we do it with a little bit of a twist. See, this is not your typical business or leadership podcast. We are aiming after a specific kind of capacity for a very specific kind of leader. I want to help you become just like the people that founded the early church in the book of Acts. So last episode, we lost into a discussion on how to increase capacity in others. And it was all built off this this one premise that if you are getting better, if you're improving, if you are increasing capacity in yourself but not adding value to others, what is the point of all of that growth? Because the joy... The joy of growing, the joy of getting better, the joy of getting sharper, of becoming more efficient, the joy of self-improvement is the honor of bringing others up with you. The fact that you are able to take everything that you have learned and everything that you have discovered and you get to pour that back into the life of somebody else so that you can help them grow. And so I want to help you take the next step in helping others get better. You know, at the beginning of the episode, we, we launched with a very famous speech from JFK, President John F. Kennedy, in 1962. And, and he gave this momentous speech. It, it lives on. It's one of the most famous presidential speeches of all time. But you may not be familiar with the historical context from which it arises and that historical context really will mean everything for us today. It was, it was in 1962, and the 1960s were tremendously difficult time for America. America was locked in a deadly contest with the Russian Soviet Union. The socialist communist regimes of Russia were both an ideological and an existential threat to America, and really all of the free world at the time. And this was a reality that was embraced by both Republicans and Democrats in the 1950s and the 1960s. The fact that socialist communist regimes in general, but especially the USSR, were a threat to liberty and the ideas that made the Western world open and, and free. 
Communism was and still is the ideological enemy of freedom and democracy. If you don't believe me, simply look at China. Look at countries like North Korea, where communism restricts freedom. It limits speech. It relentlessly persecutes faith. And that's because communism, those far, far left ideologies, their worldview is ultimately and deeply rooted in atheism. And as a result, it is entirely incompatible with a sociocultural system that's been built off Judeo-Christian values that acknowledges, at its very least, the existence of a higher power. And also, it was an existential threat because Russia and the United States were in a nuclear arms race, and each were trying to outdo the other and the development of nuclear weapons. And school children in the United States and Canada at this particular time were having drills in the event that Russia launched a nuclear attack. And those of you, the few of you that uh, listen to this podcast, that you grew up and were school children in that era, you remember having to hide under your desks as sirens would blare off. And they, they did this in the United States as well as in Canada where I live as well because the threat of a Russian attack was very real because the authoritarian nature of Russian-Soviet rule meant that all of the checks and balances that were part of the United States' use of deadly weapons were virtually non-existent in Russia. And both sides operated under the assumption of a doctrine of mutually assured destruction. And here's what that meant. You hit us, we hit you. And the hit, the hit was a powerful nuclear bomb capable of destroying cities and making them completely uninhabitable for decades and decades and decades and decades. So as you can imagine, the cultural mood was tense, it was fearful, it was hazy, it was a confusing time, and in the middle of all of this upheaval, JFK took the stage at Rice University and uttered, we choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon in this decade, not because it is easy but because it is hard. And throughout this entire speech, but especially in this powerful set of phrases that I just read to you, JFK did what all leaders must do if they desire to increase capacity of their followers and galvanize them, especially in tense and uncertain times. And here's what JFK did, and here's what you must do if you desire to grow people in the environment that we find ourselves in right now. And that is provide people with a deep, meaningful, difficult goal that is only achievable if we work together. Let me say that again. JFK, the genius of the speech and the genius of what he presented as a leader that day was that he provided people with a deep, meaningful, and difficult goal that would only be achievable if they could learn how to work together. And this is what you must do if you desire to see people grow that you lead today. Now, we could do an entire episode on goal setting. We could we could go, and we kind of have. We've talked about uh, how to know what's most important right now and how to increase clarity, and, and we've talked a little bit about goal setting. 
But that's not the aim of this episode today. The aim of this episode is not how to set goals, but it's how to grow the people who follow you. And so since our, na- our, our aim is narrow, we're going to narrowly focus on only the parts of goal setting that have the ability to spark growth in those that you lead and have influence over. So here's how we're going to do that in, in this particular episode today. We're going to unpack JFK's speech and, and the goal that he set of this moon mission. I, I hope to show you two capacity-increasing things that meaningful and difficult goals do to help you in shaping yours. And then I want to show you how that kind of goal can increase capacity so that you know what kind of results that you can look for. So let's, let's jump right in and let's talk about the first thing a meaningful and difficult goal does so that it may help you in shaping yours. And, and this is what we learned from JFK. JFK's speech appealed, and this, this mission of going to the moon, it appealed to the core identity of America. That was the genius of the speech. It was the genius of the goal, was that it was framed in a way that reached out and touched or pulled on the heartstrings of every American that was listening. Because meaningful goals appeal to the core identity of a group. A meaningful and difficult goal that sparks growth in people is something that appeals to their core idea. The presentation, the idea of it, it strikes a chord at the heart of what it means to be part of your group, part of your team, part of your tribe. And for JFK, he was appealing to the pioneering spirit of America. We will go to the moon because this unknown celestial body, he called it. This We will go to the moon because this is what we do. This is what America does. America was, a, uh, was founded on the pioneering spirit, the adventuring spirit. The West was settled by people that were willing to go into the unknown and do difficult and hard things. And this goal of going to the moon, visiting something outside and off the planet. It appealed to their identity as pioneers. We've settled America, but there is another place left for us to settle yet again. And the goal, this goal that he presented, if they were to succeed, would simply reinforce this core identity, and further cement it in their psyche. And that was the genius of it. So the idea of let's do this hard and difficult thing together, it appealed to their core identity. But then also they realized that if they would succeed at this, it would further reinforce, it would further affirm with inside of the heart and soul of America that yes, we are still pioneers. And you must do the same. If you're looking around and you're like, the people that I am leading right now, they, they need to grow. How can I help them? You need to give them a meaningful and difficult goal and frame it in such a way that it speaks to the core of who your people are. And they would immediately understand that the success of that, the reaching of that goal would cement and gel this identity that they affirm to be true about themselves even 
much more so. And this was a meaningful goal to America at this time because many Americans were convinced that they were losing the space race to Russia. Now, here's why this mattered. This, this wasn't just like two you know, countries with big egos that you know, wanted to win hockey at the Winter Olympics. Whoever would win this space race, whoever would be able to set foot on the moon first, conquer, conquering space, would provide proof, both countries felt, would provide proof of which system of rule, which system of ideology, which political ideology would win out and be proven to be superior. Would it be the totalitarianism of, of communist rule, of Marxism, or would it be the liberty of democracy and all of the basic ideas and values that America stood for? That... That's what many Americans felt was on the line. It wasn't just who could get the bragging rights. It was whose country was built upon the values that were actually good and honorable and true. Here's the thing. If you want to cast a goal for people that drives them to grow and become better in the process, it has to be meaningful. The dream of reaching it has to resonate with something that we believe is true about us. You know, for, for our church, I've talked a lot, and that's really because it's the only context that, that I understand. Our, our vision is to grow a church where people love to experience God's presence and learn God's teaching and share in God's family and serve God's mission. And we're a church, our core values are that we are passionate. Passion is the driving force and emotion of all that we do, and we're passionate about apostolic doctrine. We're passionate about being spirit-led and spirit-driven, and we're passionate about results. That's, that's our identity. And so we got locked down again just, you know, uh, before, just after Christmas, I should say, just after Christmas. And so our whole team began to pivot, and, and we launched these online Bible study groups that anybody could join that would take place on Thursday nights. We'd have some in the morning. We'd have some in the evening. We scheduled a teacher in the morning and a teacher in, in the evening. And we rallied around this. We're like, this is what we've got to do. We've got to drive our roots down deeper in the word. Why? Because we're a church that loves to learn the word of God. We're passionate about apostolic doctrine and its application. And so we waited when we rolled out the registration as to whether or not it would work, whether or not we'd, people would want to be a part of this. And our minds were blown when over 50 people signed up in, in, in like two days to join Bible study groups and we had to add more teachers and 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 we're still we're still quite full and more people are wanting wanting to be a part of this reaching that goal that small goal for us was massive cuz not only did we get people into the Bible, into the Word of God in a tumultuous time, we get them focused instead of watching Netflix and watching television or, you know, binge-watching movies. They're now gathered around their table with their laptops or their tablets open, breaking open the Word of God. But what was so exciting about that goal that we reached together of, of having over 50 people join these groups and more people wanting to be involved than maybe what we thought is it reinforced our core identity. It said we really are a church that loves to learn the Word of God. We really are a church that is passionate 
about apostolic doctrine because that's what a goal has the ability to do. It reaches it reaches down and, and it strikes at something that's core to who you are, or core to who you want to be. And then when you succeed at that, it just, it's like, yes, this is who we are. This really should be what we are about. The success has to mean something about us. And if we accomplish it together, we're going to prove to ourselves and we're going to prove to the world that we are. We are this. And that's what you've got to do. That's what you've got to do. You've got to come up with an action item, with a goal, with a charge that appeals to something deep within inside of people that says we have to do this because we want to be this, and if we succeed at it, it will reinforce that, yes, we've got this right. Our identity has been reinforced. And JFK masterfully did that. He appealed to that pioneering spirit. The second thing he did that I felt was, was incredibly powerful as, to do as a leader for all of JFK's flaws, this, this speech and the vision, the goal of going to the moon, was powerful because meaningful and difficult goals produce a sense of urgency within people. Meaningful and difficult goals produce a sense of urgency, and Kennedy produced a deep sense of urgency within inside of America during this speech. And there are two things that he did, and, and these can be things that you can do, or you can find maybe a more effective way for your group, but I just wanted to give you that example. I wanted to deep dive on that example to show you how he produced that sense of, of, of urgency. Here's what he did. He verbally condensed human history to 50 years in the speech. And he said, only last week did we develop penicillin and television and nuclear power. And now if America's new spacecraft succeeds in reaching Venus, we will have literally reached the stars before midnight tonight. It was this metaphor of condensing human history into a very understandable, at least to the people listening, length of time. And with this metaphor, he gave people, he infused within them a charge, a sense of urgency so that they would act. He compressed time. That's what he did. That was the genius of this speech is that Kennedy, through an extended analogy, compressed time. He placed American innovation along the vast stretch of human history and, and basically said, if we accomplished so much in such a short amount of time, we must be about that very same thing again. We can't afford to delay on this. And in, and in compressing time, he challenged one of the great myths that hold people back. You know, the old lie that says, you know, no rush, no pressure, we got time, just relax. But by employing this rhetorical device, he kicked procrastination out of the room before it had the opportunity to speak. And leaders, if you want to increase the capacity of those you lead, you must remove the option for people to procrastinate. You must instill with inside of them that, that sense of urgency and you've got to do it through more than just creating deadlines. 
the the power of JFK's speech was not that he said we're going to do it by this decade, though that was a very pragmatic way of holding people accountable. But he was more effective by stirring something within his followers that inspired themselves to hold one another accountable. I, I can't slack off on this. I, I, we got to get it done. The second way that JFK sparked a sense of urgency in America in 1962 when he took the stage and made this speech was he talked about what the enemy had done and the threat of what it meant that Soviet Russia was beating them in this race into the skies. Here's what he said. If we are to win the battle that is now going on around the world between freedom and tyranny, again, he's he's framing, this is about more than the moon. This is about the world that people should desire to live in. And he, he's saying in this opening phrase, there are people all over the world trying to decide which worldview they should possess. Tyranny is winning right now, though. We want people to choose freedom because freedom is better. Freedom produces happiness, right? That's That's the... That's what he's trying. That's what America is trying to put forward in this particular time. But they're in a contest with tyranny. They're in a contest with, with communism and Soviet Russia and the oppression of that Marxist state. And he's saying, if we are to win the battle that is now going on, I quote, around the world between freedom and, ty- and tyranny, the dramatic achievements in space, which occurred in recent weeks, should have made it clear to us all, as did the Sputnik, which is a Russian spacecraft, in 1957, the impact of this adventure on the minds of men everywhere who are attempting to make a determination of what road they should take. He's saying, we and the enemy have a message. And people are looking at what they're doing, and they're looking at what we're doing, and they're trying to decide what road they should take on the basis of how we handle the next few moments. He said, I believe we possess all the resources and talents necessary, but the facts of the matter are that we have never made the national decisions or marshaled the national resources required for such leadership. We have never specified long-range goals on an urgent time schedule or managed our resources and our time so as to ensure their fulfillment. This is a refreshingly transparent speech from a political leader. He's saying the Russians have already got a spacecraft up in the air. We already know and we already have seen, the world has seen what they have done. Tyranny is ahead of the game and we don't have our act together. We haven't aggressively and urgently pursued the mission that will ultimately win the hearts and minds of the world with the same fervor as our enemy. That's what he's saying. I want to continue with reading the speech. Recognizing the head start obtained by the Soviets with their large rocket engines, which gives them many months of lead time, and recognizing the likelihood that they will exploit this lead for some time to come in still more impressive successes, we nevertheless are required to make new efforts on our own. For while we cannot guarantee that they shall one day be first, we can guarantee that any failure to make this effort will make us last. Wow. What a profound statement. I, he says, I don't know 
if the enemy will beat us or get to this this milestone first, but I can guarantee the world, and I can guarantee America, that if we do not get our act together, if we don't feel a sense of urgency to unite as a nation, we will be last place in this race. He framed this for what it truly was, a contest between light and darkness and good and evil, oppression and tyranny versus freedom and liberty. He's saying if we don't do this and we don't do this now, we will lose because look at what the enemy, the USSR, has done. So when is the last time you've done that? When is the last time that you got up in front of your team and you framed your mission in light of the cosmic contest that your team, that your church is a part of? Remember, we, we're going after a specific kind of capacity here. This is not a leadership business podcast for you to go help you become a better accountant. This, this is a kingdom-focused podcast. This is a podcast to help you try to become more and more like Peter and Paul and James and Timothy and all of those world-changing apostolic leaders that, that shook the world in, in, in the book of Acts. When's the last time that we've gotten in front of our crew and we have framed our mission in light of the fervor and the passion that the enemy of the kingdom of heaven and all of his team have poured into winning the hearts and minds of the people in your city, your youth group, your P7 club, your CMI chapter, describing in vivid, te- vivid and emotive detail the great lengths that the kingdom of darkness has gone to plunge the world in chaos and fear and racial division while at the same time distracting God's people with temporary things like human politics. When's the last time that you shook the room by saying, can't you see the great lengths to which the devil has gone to work his agenda. And how much more passionate we must be about making sure that we are about God's agenda. If you're looking at your team, if you're looking at the people that that follow you and you're noticing that they're struggling or they're not growing, you need you need to find something to give them a goal that they must reach. It's only able to be accomplished if they all work together and you must create within inside of the casting of that vision and even within inside of the actual goal itself a tremendous sense of urgency. Frame what you're calling them to do within light of the cosmic struggle between the church of Jesus Christ and the enemy of the church, frame their role, frame their job. It doesn't matter how small, but frame it in light of its cosmic and eternal impact. So right now what I want to do, I want to shift gears a little bit, and I want to show you how meaningful goals increase capacity. I want to show you what success will look like. Meaningful and difficult goals force and inspire change 
and growth. And here's what here's how they do that. They present problems that your team, your organization has never solved before. You've got to give them something to tackle that they have never solved before. There's chances are there's some very real problems, very real challenges that are facing you right now that if you present them with a sense of urgency in a way that appeals to their core identity and their core sense of purpose and mission, that they will rise to the challenge. And what that meaningful and difficult goal will do is it will force people to get creative and innovate. When you present great challenges before people, it requires people to create and to innovate. They cannot fall back onto the familiarity of how we have always done it. Great challenges, difficult challenges. Always call people to do something they have never done before. I have watched even in my local church as people have become involved and gotten plugged into ministries and gotten plugged into serving and things that they have never done in the 20 years that I have been a part of LifePoint Church. And here's the truth that's embedded within within my statement that meaningful goals force and inspire change. They, they force and inspire growth. The truth is this, that most people won't grow if you don't call them to accomplish something outside of their current capacity. Now listen, I don't want to put all of the responsibility on you. People do have to be responsible for themselves. They've got to be responsible to understand that they need to change and that they need to grow They have got to expend effort, but often most people won't bootstrap their own life. They they won't be able to look in the mirror and say, this is what I got to fix on. This is what I need to grow. This is what I got to do in order to get sharper and get better and become more of the person that God has called me to become. Often people won't grow if you don't call them to accomplish something outside of their current capacity and skill set. Most people don't take the initiative, so you've got to give them the thing that they will then take and begin to activate that growth with inside of themselves for. You've got to give them the reason why. So if you have people who are stuck, people who are not growing, teams that are in a rut, that are bored, living in a world that's fearful and tense and their minds are not focused, They're focused on the secular and external things of the world, and they're not focused on the eternal things that have the ability to truly transform hearts and minds. Maybe it's time for you to roll in with a vision so large, a goal so big that it overwhelms their inertia and jumpstarts their passion again. Because here's one of the things that's cool. The goal set by JFK to go to the moon had reverberating effects on NASA. And NASA at this particular time was, like many 1960s organizations, even like many you know organizations and companies today, big old bureaucracies, silos everywhere, interdepartmental competition. This goal set by JFK transformed NASA. It crushed all of their silos. And the guy that was in charge of the project went about creating 
what would be even still today very modern management concepts like cross-functional teams, cross-pollinating teams, crushing their silos, getting people together. And here's what's really amazing. The innovation and growth sparked by JFK setting a massive goal had rippling effects on the rest of American culture and American innovation that he never would have imagined. And likewise, you rolling in, if you've got people that are stuck in a rut, people that are not focused right now, and you drop something huge, something massive, and, and you're like, let's go, let's go take this kind of mountain. Let's go do this together. The innovation and growth sparked by you setting a massive goal will create a ripple effect of impact that will transcend what you can imagine. Now, here's what's so cool to me. Here are the innovations that came out of NASA's moon mission. Here are some of the innovations. The Dust Buster was one of them. 1971, NASA partnered with Black and Decker. And, and the goal of the Dust Buster was to collect lunar rock and soil samples for Apollo 15. And so they developed a lightweight, battery-powered you know, vacuum to suck up particles from hard-to-reach moon crevices. And now, if you spill something in your kitchen, you have a handheld cordless vacuum cleaner that has sucked up dirt in hard-to-reach home crevices for the past 40-plus years. How about memory foam? 1968, NASA scientists at the Ames Research Center in Silicon Valley invented, invented, I should say, this polyurethane silicone plastic foam that was used for more comfortable and more shock-absorbing seat cushioning in air and space crafts. Now, if you order a Casper mattress and it comes in a box, or an Andy mattress like I have, and it comes in a, in a box. That memory foam mattress was invented. The innovation came about through the NASA moon mission. There's tons of them. Anti-fogging coating that's now used on ski goggles and diving masks. How about Nike Air shoes? In 1977, NASA engineer Marianne Franklin Rudy brought a unique production idea to the Nike shoe company. In the moon, or in the moon mission, there was a process known as blow rubber molding, where hollowed out plastic parts were formed and filled with compressed, dense gases to provide extra comfort and protection in the Apollo era astronaut helmets. And in 1978, Nike came out with the Nike Air Tailwind shoes that Rudy helped develop a hollowed out heel filled with compressed air providing extra cushioning shock absorbing and buoyancy and and Nike Air technology Ni shoes with Nike Air in them remain a best uh, seller to this day I could go on and on and on from studless winter tires if you're a Canadian or you live in the northern United States and you wear you have snow tires on your car you wear. Your, your car wears snow tires or winter tires. Those were developed in the Apollo 14 mission. Sometimes what you've got to do is walk into the room and set the bar so high, cast a vision so big 
give your team a goal so compelling that the only way it can be done is if your team is willing to break the existing systems that have served them to that point, break down the silos that have served as their comfortable place of safety to that point so that they can do something new and exciting. And only God knows, truly, in the church, only God knows the reverberating impact that your team will have not just on your church, but in your entire province or state, or even a ripple across the kingdom over the entire world. No one knows the kind of innovation you will spark. You set your team up to solve a problem, but the creativity and innovation and ingenuity that arises from your team stepping up to the plate could be so large that it changes things in your church, your team, your organization that you never, you never could have imagined. So leaders, it's time to get your moon speech ready. It is. Fire yourself up right now. It's time for you to get your moon speech ready. Discover your goal. What is that thing that if your team actually pulls it off would change everything else? What is that thing that the impact of succeeding and accomplishing it would reverberate through the entirety of all of those that you have influence over? Now, I don't know what it is. I really don't. But God does. And if you seek his direction and you find it and you passionately articulate it and you position your team to accomplish it, the capacity of your people will increase and the impact of the changes that will follow will live long after the goal is reached. You have the ability, I want you to hear me, you have the ability to create effects that can change culture and how things operate in the future. Get your moon speech ready. I'm I'm here a lot of fire under you today. Get your speech ready. Plot the course into the future and watch the people around you grow as a result. Chances are you've got some amazing leaders that serve alongside you. They're just waiting on you to give them something that will pull them out of their comfort zone and into the great future that God has for you and your team. Well, thank you so much for listening today. If you have not subscribed yet to The Restorationist, please do so. Leave us a rating. It helps us get up there in the rankings. And as always, God bless you and have a wonderful rest of your day.